Hello everybody, this is the Friday edition of the WILX Sports Blitz podcast. We are back and there is quite a lot to talk about and who better to talk everything from the Detroit Lions to Michigan State to, heck, another coronavirus story, but this one uh, seems to be good news. Uh, Callan Buddy, the lead sports anchor that we have on most nights covering the stories in the 90 and Almost any time there's something breaking, he's our man on the scene. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's a Friday, and it's sunny, and it's nice out. That's uh, that's really all you can ask for right now. <laughs> how about you? Good. I am in a third-story apartment I have moved to, and I have learned that a the warm rises. air rises. Yep. Um, very <laughs> much so. And I have also learned that the uh, swamp coolers, those like little mini, you, you see those things pour uh, pitched as a personal AC that you pour water into, those things, uh, they need 15% humidity to work. So uh, Nevada, Arizona, uh, Michigan, I don't think ever gets down to 15% humidity. Maybe if like the Great Lakes just didn't exist. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, lots it's of the ice humidity. Water. It's the humidity that gets you. Yeah, lots of fans, uh, lots of ice water, uh, but staying cool. And it's a pretty cool time of year. We're coming up Memorial Day is uh, just a week out, that long weekend, so hopefully everyone's got fun plans happening. And there's fun times to be had, uh, like I mentioned. Uh, let's start off first with the Detroit Lions. There's been a, some time to sit back, look back, see what they've done with the draft, and seeing how this team is shaping up. There's been some interesting notes on you know offers made towards uh, other Campbells, possibly Iowa State, maybe getting the coaching job there. Uh, the team... There's not really the lead offensive weapon, but it looks like to me when I take a just a first glance at the draft that they got at least some guys who might be long, long term and valuable contributors. I think the biggest issue with when when we talk about those long term contributors is the Lions have had some pretty solid names on their offensive core, but the biggest issue is none of them can stay healthy. So I think the biggest uh, excuse me, voice crack. That's a hot start. Uh, the biggest issue that the Lions are going to have is can their linemen, you know, and in this case specifically Panay Sewell, can they stay healthy? The The biggest problem with the Lions offense has been their, their pass protection, and they haven't really had a, a solid offensive line that they've been able to trot out every single game week in and week out. I remember, I believe it was a couple of years ago, out of the 16 games they played, I think they had 12 different starting line combinations. You know, there's no consistency there. Um, you know, consistency is the basis for a lot of success, um, keeping the same core year in and year out. And um, for the offensive line, the Lions haven't been able to do that. So I think the talent is there. Uh, especially with Panay Sewell coming in from Oregon. Uh, but the, the main question and the biggest concern is, can they be healthy? But overall, uh, I like what they did in the first round. I think Panay was a solid pick. Um, I don't blame them for taking him. Uh, I thought Panay might have gone a little higher, which would have left uh, an easier decision to draft possibly Justin Fields or Devontae Smith from Alabama. Um, but, uh, overall I, I like what the Lions did and I don't have any concerns other than, you know, can they stay healthy their whole career? Yeah. I mean, I mean the best kind of availability 
uh, or ability is availability. Man, I, I killed that one there. But really, you have to be healthy in order to contribute. And it's, I mean, I think the best Lions running back I've seen was that what flash in the pan of Javid Best. I haven't even said his name in ever because it, it didn't <laughs> exist. But he was an incredible speedster. And he just never was able to play after just a couple of games because of a career-ending issue with concussions. And it, it, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't get on the field, it, it's one of those things that uh, make—I can't remember his name—the Browns lineman who set the record for just most number of consecutive starts. Oh, Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas. Yes, the the Iron Man, Joe Thomas, who was yeah. able to be out there for any and everything, and a Pro Bowler on one of the worst teams in. Uh, multiple uh, worst teams in NFL history, but uh, he was always there and available for his team. And to the Lions, there has been a significant amount of turnover. There's, uh, It's been stripped down to the studs and then some. I do like that they've built from kind of the inside out going, you know, O-line, multiple D tackles. Because I also think, too, that those are positions that you can play at a high level for an extended period of time, like like Joe Thomas or uh, Haloti Nada. He had a, a cup of coffee with the Lions, but, uh, I mean, you still see uh, Ndamukong Sue is out there being a positive contributor for after, what, more than a decade in the league? Yeah. With, if, you get, if you nail these guys at on the interior on both sides of the ball, they can be a positive long-term asset, whereas I think... You know, you get your skill position guys. They're going to get beat up really hard. They're going to, if you lose that step uh, here or there, just that natural wear and tear slash, you know, loss of athleticism, that natural decline, it's a lot harder to to build with them and put picks there. And I'm I'm also used to seeing the Lions do the uh, odd move of, hey, let's take a, a tight end with a first-round pick, and he won't be huh. able to catch a pass. So uh, I, I, I like the pick. I... To me, Penny, I mean, everybody seems to be really, really high in him, and that's also unusual to see people out there with positive things to say about a Lions first-round pick that uh, and really glowing reviews. I'm just, I've got two question marks, and it seems to be the same question marks as everybody. One, where the Lions are at, where there is just a completely empty cupboard and picks and looks like going to be something close to an active tank job for the foreseeable future. Do you think they should have traded back to try to get more assets? Uh, may it, I think they were kind of waiting to see where the chips were going to fall in the first draft. Uh, I know there had been some discussion of them possibly trying to trade uh, both up and down, and GM Brad Holmes did mention that that was one of his possibilities was you know looking to pick somewhere other than seven. Um, I think I think they did a good job. I think had uh, Sewell been taken off, like I mentioned before, they could have taken Fields, they could have taken Smith, and who knows, perhaps they would have been, in, hey, here's an option for a trade. Um, I, I think they did a good job. I, I don't think they're at the point where, uh, you know, one extra pick, which I think would have been the return for trading down or something like that. I don't think one extra pick would have helped them in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, I, I could have been wrong. And if, if it would have happened, you know, I wish I would have been wrong. You know, who knows that pick could have turned into, um, you know, the next Calvin Johnson, who knows, but 
I think they did the right thing. Uh, I think uh, Brad Holmes did a good job um, kind of filling those that that biggest need that they had, which was was pass protection in that offensive line. There are too many holes on the Lions team to be worried about taking a, a, a quarterback or a receiver or even trading down. I think they got the piece that they needed, I think, more than anything else. And so I think that just kind of helped solidify that pick. But uh, I, I kind of, you know, went off on my own tangent. But um, I overall, I did think they made the right move at seven. Then the other question is, so we think they made the right move there. The other option could have been Justin Fields out of Ohio State. And he went a little bit later in the draft than I thought. And it was still very quarterback heavy early early on. To me, outside of Trevor Lawrence, I didn't see any guys necessarily worth trading up for. But Justin Fields falling to number seven, that's mighty tempting. I agree. And... you know, I, I talked with uh, David Andrews. He's he's one of our anchors here, and he was just so like he was like so concerned. And he's a Packers fan, so this was kind of surprising to me. He was like, "Well, he has a lot of concerns right now." Yeah, seriously. Yeah, uh, he was like, "Why didn't the Lions take Fields? Why didn't they take Devontae Smith?" And I I think Fields is going to be a good quarterback. Unfortunately, now it's going to be for the Bears. Um, I I don't necessarily know if given his kind of big question marks, you saw him, you know, as the draft came closer and closer, his draft stock kind of fell a little bit, um, you know, each and every week. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily think he would have been a bad pick, but I think given, you know, those factors that kind of fell into him, um, you know, falling down the draft board in those mock drafts, I, I don't think it was a, um, uh, what am I looking for? I don't think it was a big miss to just kind of pass over him at number seven and um, hoping I don't eat my words here. Uh, luckily with the, uh, the, the bears history of, you know, kind of messing things up here and there. Uh, hopefully fields will be uh, a, a failure. <laughs> not, not for his sake. I hope personally he does a great job, even though he did go to Ohio state. Uh, but you know, just as a Lions fan, it would really hurt to to see Fields have a lot of success, especially on the Bears. Yeah, I think twofold. I see two issues for him. One, it's the Bears, like you mentioned, Mitch Trubisky. Which it's very interesting that they're going from one dual threat quarterback straight to another one after all the success that had, especially after they've you know signed more pocket passers like Nick Foles and. Now, Nick Foles, I think, is possibly uh, the outside of him and Joe Flacco definitely have some of the craziest runs to a Super Bowl in terms of just the absolute peak of their powers, but especially Foles. But I I digress. Just seeing the dual threat play from Chicago the last few years, I don't know if Justin Fields is in the right position to succeed based off of the coaching staff there and, and all those pieces in play, I'm not sure about that. And then two, I don't know the last time I saw an Ohio State quarterback really succeed. I'm going through their list right now. I mean, you've got Cardell Jones, you've got Terrell Pryor, and Dwayne Haskins, and they've all been, a lot of them have been drafted well, but it's not really turned any of them into a franchise quarterback. Uh, Troy Smith, Craig Kurtzel, Krenzel, Steve 
Well, sir, sorry, I, some of these names are before me, or I was very yeah. little, and I'm not seeing any Ohio State quarterbacks that have had any terms of long-term success. The, the most successful I've ever seen would actually be Terrell Pryor switching to wide receiver, which, with the, the athleticism these guys have, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't mean that Justin Fields can't be successful, but I don't think Ohio State, with their option and their uh, immediate drive to athleticism, is the best way to develop NFL QBs unless you go uh, Lamar Jackson. But I think Lamar Jackson is in a different class of himself compared to Justin Fields. Yeah, looking looking at this list of OSU quarterbacks in the NFL, the only one with a significant uh, winning record here was the 1985 uh, Mike Tomzak. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, T-O-M-C-Z-A-K. And he was an undrafted free agent. Uh, it says here he compiled a 42-31 and 31 record in the past four. He's the only one with over 3,000 passing yards. He passed for 16,000 yards, 88 touchdowns, and 106 picks. So the record isn't too too bad, but you know your counting stats aren't aren't the best either. Um, so there is a big question mark of how Fields is going to do, considering the, you know, the the recency of of those Buckeyes in the NFL. So uh, we'll look to see what what that brings for him in Chicago. But uh, hopefully, as a Lions fan, and um, just hoping it's not at our expense. <laughs> for 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 God's sake, please. <laughs> Well, second round, they, they got the defensive tackle out of Washington, Levi. From there, they got another defensive tackle in the third round out of North Carolina State, Alim McNeil. Fourth round, there I, I can't even, I'm not going to, Fite Milifanwu from Syracuse. It's close enough, it, It's I think. And then the name I've heard a lot, both because it's fun to say and because he might be the guy with the most number of targets, a fourth round pick out of USC, I'm on... Amon Amon Ra uh, St. Brown. That sounds right. I, I think it's Amon Ra, which I because I, I always keep thinking of like a, a, a character out of the Mummy movies or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know how I feel about a Lions team where the lead pass catcher is a fourth round pick that I'm pretty sure how to say the name, but not 100% sure. And it, it is a position of need. A talented guy going to USC Nothing too much jumping out at me, just kind of, you know, filling in holes, plugging up there. And then from there, we're talking about skill position. They've now let go of a second round pick. Carry on Johnson has just been waived. So uh, I I don't know this Lions skill position right now. What do you make of it heading into uh, we, we've got some uh, you know voluntary practices right now. It's going to be a while till OTAs, but. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a little interesting to see what a new quarterback in Detroit is going to do with uh, absolutely uh, a, a bunch of guys who, who will be needing to wear name tags for their foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, going back to carry on Johnson, he's one of those guys that it was, you know, he just couldn't stay healthy. You know, he, he kept hurting his knee. He was out for significant periods of time. And um, meanwhile, the Lions are bringing in um, – uh, 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 Swift, uh, DeAndre Swift, <laughs> and and that kind of really quickly phased Johnson out of the 
the the starting rotation for running backs. And even with Adrian Peterson in the fold, he wasn't getting a whole lot of touches and he's unable to stay healthy. So what good is he for the Lions? I loved the pick. I thought he did really well in his rookie year, but it was just one of those things where it just kind of didn't work. Yeah. yeah, and you know, sorry, I I don't know why I stopped talking, but um, <laughs> well, I the- asked you questions there, and it, it's and well, it, the stopped working uh, would be uh, Lions running backs. It's interesting because just looking at the running back position as a philosophy in the NFL, it's a lot of times people view it as plug in and play and expendable. If you don't pay the guys, it didn't really work out when you give high level money to Le'Veon Bell or or things like that, and we'll see how Derrick Henry ages. He might be the exception to the rule I and mean, any other uh david johnson and just all these guys who are big named and big paid running backs that, that doesn't seem to work now however the lions i think was it up until last year um th- there were marks that no one had been able to break since um uh reggie from usc came over uh, for the lions for a hot second as a mercenary and it's I mean, if Reggie Bush is the high watermark at the tail end of his career for the Lions, it's really odd that they just can't get production from that position. I think I found like they've had uh, guys who have been interesting gadget backs or uh, interesting um, complimentary running uh, running backs, but there's just never been any movement on the football. And I can't tell if it's a, a chicken or egg scenario where it's they can't find the right guys. Or like we mentioned earlier, the line play just isn't there to create any separation. Yeah, I I think you know I'm I'm no football guru. You know I I I'm not super into the analytics behind it. I watch it for fun on Saturdays and Sundays. But it it, it looks like a lot of their issues will be solved if they can just find a solid offensive line core. And I believe that's kind of what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are thinking is if we can fix the offensive line, we can protect Jared Goff. We can give our running backs more chances. We can get Jared Goff to, you know, find a a good relationship with, uh, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown or, uh, um, Tyrell Williams, the, the free agent signing from Oakland or, um, even someone else that, you know, we never know. It, it's just been always a big issue where we see guys like Kenny Galladay. I mean, I could not believe how good of a draft pick that was. And suddenly he's too good for the Lions. And now he's going to be on the Giants because the Lions didn't want to franchise tag him or he didn't well, and he, the Lions he had the same successful. issue, too, of availability. Like the, right. he also kept getting hurt. Yeah, that one, too. Yeah. So I don't know. You, you just never know. I, uh, you know, I I'll probably be wrong. I'm I'm wrong half the time anyway. Uh, but I, I I think the issue will be solved if they can just figure out how to keep everyone on the offensive line, both healthy and on the same page. Just out of the most morbid curiosity, looking at it right now, um, Amir Abdullah and Carryon Johnson at twenty nine and thirty overall career rushing yards for the Lions. Stafford is just a little behind them um, at number 33 overall uh, at just under 1,200 rushing yards. If we want to talk about major names who contributed to the Lions and that uh, running uh, quarterback who doesn't really run very often is almost right there for career totals with the same team. Uh, that's uh, it's, it's it's scary. And then Theo Riddick's just a few spots down below it. And, you know, Theo Riddick, I always thought, is as the gadget back. So 
it's uh it is what it is the lines now something that no longer is what it just was uh shifting to overall the state of michigan and something that will not bring depression and sadness like the lines have for years and years and years though i kind of maybe we expect it and so you find the joy in the pain of the lines but the state of michigan the covid mask capacity rules are now changing Kellen, I'd imagine this is something that you have been having to follow very, very closely, and it's going to impact a lot of things from outdoor venues from here in Lansing with the Spartans in East Lansing, the Lugnuts, and anywhere else that has open-air stadiums. Kellen, yeah. what's what's happening? Yeah, this is fantastic. Starting June 1st, um, in-state stadiums are going to be open to full capacity. Um, so one of our news reporters uh, yesterday, Maureen Halliday, went and talked with Tyler Parsons, the GM, GM of the Lansing Lugnuts, um, Jeremy Sampson, the president and GM of the Lansing United, the women's soccer team. Um, and we, we also got a statement from Bill Beekman yesterday. Spartan Stadium is going to be full capacity in the fall for their for Michigan State's uh, first I guess, full official season of the Mel Tucker era. Obviously, COVID kind of messed that up last year. But, I mean, this is great. You know, obviously there is a concern that cases are going to, you know, find another spike with the – I wouldn't say it's a small number of vaccinations in the state, but uh, I think the number could be a lot higher. So there's a little concern there. But overall, bringing fans back to Jackson Field, Spartan Stadium – this is great, you know, not only for the teams itself, but for the city, for the economy. Uh, it's just fantastic. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually having fans at Spartan Stadium and, and kind of going back to normal here in a few weeks. Yeah, I talked, had the chance to talk on the previous episodes. The last two episodes of the Sports What's podcast were the Lugnuts preview. Uh, for those of you who listened, thank you. If you're looking for a deep dive on maybe how the front office works, our first episode was with Zach Clark. He had mentioned that when they were like building the events planning and you know the activities, they couldn't reveal too much uh, from the get-go. But he did say that they tried to backload it because they were hoping something like exactly like this would be a possibility. And so I think it is great that it's, it's working out that way and that vaccinations, where they are right now, that... Uh, it is basically accessible for anybody at any time to walk in for places. I mean, they've shut down the mass clinics at Ford Field and other situations like that because there's just not a demand for it, and there's now the supply there. So I think with where the availability of that is combined with outdoor and open air has been shown to be one of the best things for preventing the transmission of this, I think this is a a very good combination. And It'll be interesting to see, too, what happens with what's the feeling going to be like when you go to a Lugnuts game and it can go past the 20% capacity back up to the from the partial capacity now all the way as it scales up to 100% and then Michigan State football. What is that going to feel like? And I, I, I don't know. I know I am really excited and eager and I will definitely be going to Michigan State football games this year, but I, I'm I don't know. I, will I still be wearing a mask? Will I be uh, not worried about it? I, there's a lot of interesting psychological nuances and personal nuances to it. But the one thing I know that will be great is that 
to hear the roar of the crowd again, just even at the very limited Michigan State spring uh, exhibition scrimmages, as it were, to hear the fans chanting, uh, to have that been missing for so long, to have that back in such a small slice, it it felt good. And I I can't wait to see what it's going to feel like when you can have so many more people cheering and coming together to support something. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it goes back to when uh, I believe it was um, Peyton Thorne threw a touchdown pass in that spring practice, and unfortunately it was called back due to a flag. Um, but everybody was on their feet celebrating and, and whooping and hollering, and it was it was fun just being there and, and hearing the roar of the crowd, like you said. That's something that I think a lot of us have been waiting for. Uh, a lot of us have been... Um, deserving of experiencing, um, I, I, I think it's going to be more than exciting. Uh, I think this is great, um, but yeah, my 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 hope is that the 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 people there and in the state can continue to kind of be responsible with everything going on, and um, you know, not getting too careless with with the virus. Still, uh, it's still here. It's it hasn't gone away. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but. Uh, I don't want to dampen the mood. It's 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 very exciting. Yeah, and it, it to for where it's at, considering where how we had spent the last year plus with it, I I think everybody's going to be really uh, excited and hopeful, and I don't think it's going to change or go. Uh, this virus is going to go away anytime soon, but I think definitely there is progress being made. And this is the result of it. Now, for the team that will be the beneficiary of having a crowd capacity increase, Michigan State football, as they play outdoors in Spartan Stadium, there's been uh, both a benefit and an attrition to a recent development from the pandemic era. Uh, the, as last count as I know of it, the transfer portal, uh, uh, according to the only colors last updated on the 18th, there are 27 players heading out. And 18 players coming in, including a few more uh, notable names or at least intriguing names from the SEC. Uh, What can you tell us about the departures currently happening? Uh, Is there been anything major that's I've not seen any names personally that have jumped out leaving, but the names coming in, some of them look like they they could be starting right away from Mel Tucker. The 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 name that kind of comes to mind and one guy I was really kind of keeping an eye on during their spring practice was Kenneth Walker the transfer from Wake Forest um he's going to be uh, a key piece in in Michigan State's success um in the next you know few years uh just like the Lions the the running backs have been an issue uh kind of ever since the days of of Le'Veon Bell there really hasn't been anybody that has kind of stood out, I guess I would say, you know, that they've had a, they've had a great, you know, run here or there uh, from, you know, guys like Elijah Collins, but I think Kenneth Walker is going to, uh, he, he seems like a really powerful back, really agile as well. Um, when he was, when they were doing some drills during the practice, it was, it was hard for me to follow him on the camera because he was moving so well laterally um, so he was faking the defenders out and faking the camera people out as well. I'm really excited to see how he does. So I think he's the guy that kind of stands out 
to me. Um, and obviously it, it, I'd be remiss to not mention Anthony Russo. I thought he looked pretty good too. Um, you know, it's, it's no SEC, it's no ACC, it's no big 12 edition, but um, I, I think he's going to do a good job. He's going to kind of bring that veteran presence back to Michigan state um, because their quarterback core is, is, is pretty young still at this point. So I'm, I'm really excited about those two. Um, and I think it, it, it stinks that, this many players have left Michigan state, but I also see it as kind of, uh, these were, uh, not Mel Tucker. These were Mark D'Antonio recruits. Then this is a completely different style of team than it was a year and a half ago when these guys committed. Um, so I, I think that's just the main issue. I don't, I don't really see any concern, um, about that. I think it's just, this isn't the team that I was, you know, recruited to be on. This isn't the team I committed to. So uh, I, I need another opportunity. Yeah. And from a wins loss perspective, if it just wouldn't be cold and calculating looking at that, it's not like the team had really the high end impact talent as it were. So it's we're kind of start starting over, bringing in guys and with the situation too. I mean, the coach you had no longer is there with you. Uh, the the promise that was made to you, or the discussions, or the relationships you built, it, it it's a new start. So I think this overall transfer portal will be a good thing for uh, player relationships and for uh, improvement. It's not like you're going to have guys sticking around who don't want to be a part of the team. Everybody who's still here is making a commitment. They truly want to be here, and bringing in guys as well who can make an immediate impact with there's a lineman coming in uh from uh, Jarrett Horst Arkansas State uh and then I mean just a lot of SEC there's Duke players there's an Alabama player uh there's Ben Van Summerner which interesting to have a guy go from Michigan to Michigan State uh, that'll be a yeah. real interesting uh to observe what happens uh when they play this fall and and uh, the discussions that'll take place from there and and uh, whatever may be heard on the sidelines as well. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's not going to be any loved lost there. No, definitely not. But yeah, it's it's exciting. You, you know, you see, it, it, and it's kind of interesting how, you know, we're talking, we see a lot of these kind of power five transfers. We're not really looking at the names. We're looking at where they came from. You know, guys coming from Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Michigan, Mississippi State, Alabama. Uh, it's It's exciting. It's, it's exciting. I, I think um, Mel Tucker is kind of showing his true colors as um, a really solid recruiter. And I think it's it kind of speaks to uh, the excitement that he brings to the program. And I think a lot of people know uh, how good of a coach Mel Tucker can really be. And this year is a test. It's going to be a big test. You know, last season was different for everybody, but you know, on the win-loss record, it, it wasn't, as a Michigan State fan, what you would want to see. So um, I think there's a lot of potential uh, from the recruiting standpoint, but um, at the end of the day, it's all about results. And so we'll have to see what this fall and uh, this kind of winter part of the, the year for football brings back to East Lansing. Yeah, I I can't wait. It's definitely interesting, too, because it creates a whole other level of recruiting because it's, it's not like you're recruiting these players during the season because it's not like you'd be poaching a player from another school at that time because uh, there there would be a lot of interference of uh, uh, NCAA violations and recruiting violations and all of that. But 
it, it creates a whole secondary recruiting season. And it does take a while to bring in the high school recruits. But I, I hope this is the positive indicator that he's able to be aggressive, make the right connections, bring in players who are going to adjust to his style. And then maybe it also sets the tone, too, from you see these high school players come in and seeing, hey, look, this guy was able to come in and make an immediate impact. This matches my style. I might be able to do the same thing. So we'll see. And transition from one final Michigan State uh, transfer portal note, uh, transitioning or transferring on Transfer Talk. (laughs) Uh, Last week, it became official. Uh, Foster Lawyer, he is on his way to Davidson. Davidson is a pretty... uh, They make regular appearances every often years or consecutive years in the NCAA tournament. I think it's an interesting fit. Uh, Lawyer's legacy at Michigan State, uh, very interesting. It seems like, you know, a hard player who uh, is very similar in stature to his head coach and very much a pass-first guy. So what do you think his legacy is with Michigan State, and what do you think his future could be? Well, uh, I'll start with the future here. Uh, We all know what Davidson does to um, point guards, specifically smaller ones. Um, So it's obvious Foster Lawyer is going to be – holding a few scoring titles in the NBA a few years down the road. Um, <laughs> but on, on a serious note, I think the legacy he leaves at, at Michigan State, it, it shouldn't be a bad one. And it, a, lot, a lot of like diehard fans, a lot of people will look at him and be like, oh, he didn't do anything for us last year. Um, it, it's, it sucks to bring up the, the, the COVID excuse again, but I think it was – different and a unique experience for a lot of people and I think Foster Lawyer was one of those people where it, it affected him um, new rosters new rotations um, new routines starting e- e- this year and things just weren't normal and I, I think that can have an effect on on players a lot more than people think um, you know you and I'll have a bad day at work every once in a while Foster could have a bad practice day he could have a bad game day it, it it all comes back the same. Uh, I think he was a, a solid player, you know, when he first came on and when he first started actually playing. Um, but sometimes things change. Uh, I don't I don't think he should be looked at as uh, a waste of a scholarship. Uh, I don't think he should be looked at as a waste of of recruiting from from Tom Izzo's standpoint. Um, he did what he could and you know at the end of the day kind of just like you know Jack Hoiberg he didn't obviously make as many contributions as Foster Lawyer did but at the end of the day for both of them it just wasn't a good fit and you know what they say is the grass is always greener and I think Foster Lawyer was just looking for another chance and uh, he sees a better opportunity at at Davidson and just quickly pulling up Davidson the only other competition he has are guys who are averaging half a point and 1.8 points for their career. One is going to be a sophomore. The other would be theoretically a junior. And uh, based off of what production we've seen from Davidson points guards in the past and what Voyer, Lawyer could do, I yeah, it, it looks like he's penciled in right now as a projected starter. I think it's it's the right move for him. I With where things are defensively in the Big Ten and, and the physical competition of it, I just don't think he was necessarily the right fit for it. 
I really, really enjoyed his pass first play. It was yeah. something that where Rocket wants, and you got a little bit more of a... Uh, A.J. Hogard was very green developing, but Hogard a little bit more pass first, but wants, he, he kind of got shoehorned in there as a scoring guard, a guy who, you know, he, he's looking to to create for himself, and it kind of, the, the air would go out of the ball a little bit. And with the Warrior, he's in there, and he it was, was orchestrating it. And it's unfortunate that I don't think all the pieces were there, enough spacing, and, and I mean, just the talent and the depth just wasn't quite there this year in a couple ways, and then he throw COVID on top of it. And for him, it, it, it sucks that his season ended with the shoulder injury, because yeah. I thought he could have been a steadying hand, and I, I don't know if he would have emerged in any way, but I think uh, Tom Izzo would have really appreciated to have the option to have the more experienced player out there who can really keep the ball moving um, and be a positive asset on the team as an option. So uh, I wish all the best for him, and I hope to be seeing him in the tournament, and that would be a lot of fun to see if he can help lead a Davidson team in a year that hopefully... Uh, with, with where things are trending doesn't have all these random uh shutdowns and issues like that and he can be back healthier better than ever and who knows if uh, the bracket draws right just right he could face michigan state or any anybody else transferring out of michigan state we we might see pop up again so it it could be a very interesting year Although that's a little ways off right now with the weather being as perfect as you talked about uh earlier uh, it is a great day to uh, hit the greens. I know it uh, looks like you've got something coming up with that. Uh, what can you tell the audience you're working on? I'm talking with Michigan State golf senior James Piott today. Uh, he advanced to the NCAA tournament this week. Uh, so I'm, I'm going over to Michigan State and I'm chatting with him and his coach, Casey Luban. Uh, Luban I apologize to him. Uh, the pronunciation there might be a little off, but um, I'm going to see what it was like for him to kind of um, – you know, start a little down on the leaderboard and then kind of make his way back up. And uh, he's headed to Scottsdale next week to participate in the individuals for the for the NCAA tournament. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I might bring the golf clubs, might try and take them on. Um, unfortunately, it won't be a full 18, might not even be nine holes, might not even be one hole, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to talk with him and and uh, I'm excited to kind of hear Michigan State's perspective on what it's like. They haven't had anybody in the NCAA tournament individually since 2002 and uh, with the team since 2007. So uh, it's been a long time coming for them, and I'm sure we're going to hear nothing but positive things about what James has done in his career at East Lansing. Well, I can't wait to check it out. Hopefully everybody has the beautiful weather to uh, enjoy everything in a lovely and social distance way uh, where can people follow uh, the latest developments that you're up to as it seems like things are coming fast and furious right now for the state uh, yeah they sure are uh, so on facebook it's uh, wilx kellen buddy and on twitter it's just at kellen buddy uh, my twitter situation is figured out uh, I'm I'm a little low on followers. Um, followers aren't the end all be all, but uh, it'd be nice if a, a little more people would be able to kind of see what we're what we're up to, um, and uh, some really exciting developments uh, coming for the the sports department here at WILX in the next few months. So uh, I can't wait to share all of that when we uh, when we 
when we get to that moment, we're not there yet, but we're, we're working on um, kind of seeing what, what we can do here at WILX. Well, can't wait to see that as well. And uh, everybody check him out on social media. Kellen, thank you so much for making time for us today. And I will see you next week. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. We'll be in touch. Uh, have, a good, have a good weekend. Stay uh, cool. I almost said stay warm, but stay cool. Um, <laughs> it, it feels to me like we went from mid-50s and windy to mid-80s without really getting any of that high 60s, low 70s perfect kind of temperature. And that really, that really ticks me off. Yeah, I'm I'm just glad I'm not out wearing pads right now and uh, <laughs> running uh, two a days because uh, it it feels like we've are gotten straight to that weather. So yes, exactly. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not looking forward to to getting outside, but um, I'll put on the sunscreen. And I'll be good to go. <laughs> exactly. I I always keep a few spare cans in the car, and who knows, maybe we get to use them at Lake Lansing at some point. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. You too. We're now going to shift gears and talk about the bad boys in Detroit. Now, it's not been the smoothest season. It's not been the smoothest ride, but the playoffs are underway. Detroit's not in it, but that might be a good thing, as our next guest is about to tell you. Joining us now on the WILX Sports Blitz podcast is a very special guest. We had him on at the very start of the Pistons season, and that feels like it was uh, just a few weeks ago, and time has flown in the weird 2020-2021 way that it has. Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys and so much more, and a so many podcasts. I uh, my Half my feed feels like it's sometimes you going and talking about our boys in blue. Laz, thanks for coming on today's show. I, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you, John. It's been it has been a long season. It has been a very uh, bifurcated season. You know, earlier in the year we were talking about how Blake Griffin would look and how uh, you know the team would whether or not the team would start Derrick Rose or Killian Hayes. And by the end of it, they, those questions were not only answered but just long forgotten in favor of a team that looked uh much much different than it did at the beginning of the year and here i was you know looking at the basketball reference page and you know piston stats and all that and i completely forgot blake griffin was even on that team it, yeah. it, it just he has been everything on this roster has been thoroughly erased in one year outside of a one second dumbuya yeah it, the what Troy Weaver has done to this roster in a very short period of time is impose his vision of what uh, Detroit basketball should look like. And so far, the results look pretty good and people are happy. So that's a good thing. Yes. And part of why Pistons fans are finally happy, maybe it's because a they're not the Sacramento Kings and they don't have the worst playoff drought in the history of forever. But uh, there has been recent visits to the playoffs and they have been a resounding education of that Detroit is not uh, at those moments ready to compete, getting uh, handily swept by both the Cavs and the Bucks. They have finally picked a decision uh, or uh, picked a destination and they are going full rebuild. And with that full rebuild comes with the uh, lovely record of 20 and 52. Now, that is not the full 82 game season because to this year has been shortened due to the pandemic and then the quick turnaround time from the uh, NBA bubble. The Pistons, uh, they did secure 
a, a top three lottery odds spot, and I believe it, I'm 99% sure that the top three odds are all the same. So as long as the Pistons were one of the three worst teams in the NBA, which they handily did, uh, they are guaranteed, guaranteed an even shot at the number one pick and then the rest of the odds from there. Anything I'm missing in terms of big picture that you can think of? I think uh, I I wouldn't characterize it as handily. It did come down to the final game <laughs> of the season to secure those lottery odds. Um, and I will, the only other thing I would say is that, like, yes, the top three teams all have equal, uh, equal shares of the uh, first three picks in the lottery. But the, the, what the odds determine is the floor. So right now, the Pistons have the second worst odds. They finished the season with the second worst uh, record in, in the league and the second best lottery odds. That means they can fall as far as six. There's a 20% chance the Detroit Pistons uh, get the sixth overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft. And if they had the third worst record, it would be seventh. The fourth worst record, the falls take a far, would be eighth, et cetera, et cetera. I know that uh, a lot of fans were had a lot of consternation about the uh, potential for this team to fall in the draft lottery. Detroit, you know, infamously has never moved up in the lottery. Uh, and, you know, this would be a good year to uh, remedy that if the uh, NBA is listening. But uh, I think that is the only other notable thing is that uh, after winning only 20 games, the, the Pistons can only fall to the sixth overall pick. And, that would explain why my tankathon spins have changed in terms of their worst case scenarios. Uh, I'd imagine a lot of Piston fans have been on tankathon.com, just kind of hitting that sim lottery button and seeing where the chips may fall as they are. Uh, with that, it shows it's a 52.1% of a top four and then the 14% uh, number one overall. And yes, when we're talking about handily being one of the worst teams in the NBA, uh, they weren't alone in that competition. There was a three games separating six through uh, Detroit at number two. But, I mean, Detroit, Orlando, Cleveland, OKC, that's just two games, uh, win and loss. Uh, everyone was working real hard to see uh, how they could drive that floor down. And it, there's good reason for it. We'll talk a little bit later with the possibilities of uh, an exciting rookie that could be an absolute game changer whether it's uh, Evan Mobley or Kaminga or uh, hashtag fade for Cade comes true uh, all very hopeful but other parts if we break down a little bit more in terms of the personnel of the players currently on the team there are some interesting discoveries and some trades as well uh, guys have been shipped down a couple different parts Steve Mihailuk uh, no longer with the team. Uh, so threes for C's and the T's that would come with them. Uh, not quite happening. Uh, they got Hamadou Diallo back with him. Dennis Smith Jr. is on the squad, uh, as at least as of this moment. And uh, then also Frank Jackson as a two-way player coming on looking like an absolute gunner. What do you see... Uh, retrospective there was also then the separation of ways with Blake Griffin in terms of well, one of the bigger buyouts in recent NBA history in terms of just paying him a significant chunk of change to walk away and uh, for this year and next year and I believe Saku Dumboya is then the oldest tenure or longest tenured piston in this timeline and everyone else has been either brought in uh, this year with a rookie season or their first season debuting with the squad or being uh, acquired mid-season as well. 
Yeah, this team has been you know thoroughly restructured uh, by Troy Weaver, and I, I think in terms of impact on the team, I think the uh, the Blake Griffin buyout was probably uh, the most uh, impactful thing that happened to the team this year. Uh, the team was losing games prior to that, but that really set the uh, that really let everyone know like what the priority for this team was going to be moving forward. Right, it was going to be development of young guys. It was going to be you know uh, solidifying a high draft position, and it was going to be um, you know a, a cleaning house um, of of the previous uh, regime. Um, oh, and, and I also got Derek Rose. He was also cleaned house too. My goodness, this yeah, this has been a, such a a, a bifur, uh, you know, a tale of two seasons, as it were. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, the other thing is that you know that also prevents what the the Pistons can accomplish in free agency this offseason and probably what they'll be able to do in terms of with their cap space next offseason because that Blake buyout means that they have a you know a cap hole a dead cap hold of you know in excess of 20 million dollars on their books for this season and the next season so it doesn't exactly look like they'll be big players in free agency despite having all these young guys and a, a not very expensive roster but when that cap hold expires in 2022-23, um, they will have a lot of cap space. You'll, they'll hopefully have a very young, very solid core, and they'll be able to make moves really quickly. And so I think that that remains the horizon for this team, right? Uh, get Continue to develop uh, and draft well for the next year or so. Um, become major players in 2022 free agency, and then really compete for the playoffs in 2023 now it's been set up to do the full teardown rebuild a lot of rookies got minutes this year uh, some a little bit later than others but the it's the big three for the rookies Sadiq Bey Isaiah Stewart and then uh, Killian Hayes who has also had a split season uh, before and after coming back from his hip injury obviously the big one to talk about would be Sadiq Bey with the record-setting three-point numbers, at least for any Pistons rookie in history, and is uh, pretty high up there as well. What do you make of... I'm not sure if I've ever seen a rookie come into Detroit and maybe not take over a game, but look at least as ready to be a all-around solid contributor and starter, which he did for much of the season as well. Yeah, I think that was... Sadiq exceeded expectations uh coming into this season the the expectation was that in time he would be you know a very solid nba player and then he came out in his rookie year and immediately proved himself to be a very solid nba player uh even you know beyond the scope of a rookie and so i think now that causes you to evaluate you know his his future potential as as higher i think than uh what people envisioned when he first got here uh, you you thought there might be you thought there might take some time to be an adjustment to get used to the NBA three point line, uh, take him a couple games. But like like you said, he if the Pistons had played a full eighty two game season, he might have set the NBA record for uh, made threes number of made threes by a rookie. You know, as it as it was, he eclipsed the Steph Curry's uh, record, Steph Curry's number of made threes as a rookie. I thought that like that was that was really impressive. Um, he was a much, he was a he was a very good team defender immediately. 
Um, and I think as as he gets more familiar with uh, the strength and speed of NBA defenders, he will become a, a better like point of attack defender. That will be an, a next uh, an important next step for him. And then you could see towards the end of the season they were giving him some ball handling reps, um, you know, telling him to attack and pick and roll, uh, just seeing what he could create out of those actions. Um, and he was finding you know some success, but that was not coming as easy to him as the as the three point shots uh, were earlier in the year. And you do hope that that's an area of his game that he grows in time. That that won't. I don't think that will ever be his strength. I think his strength will continue to be the, the three point shot. But I. I do think that that's an element of his game that's going to need to improve if he's going to, uh, you know, that if, if he's going to be more than a solid starter in the NBA, like that's that's the the element of his game that he's going to need. But all in all, very good year for Sadiq. Yeah, it, it, it's I, I'm just pulling out more of the advanced stats on the historical comparison. He made 175, which is uh, good for third best all time behind Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard. And it's interesting, too, because those are definitely that trending that way. He His percentage is the best of all of them. Uh, at 38, they were at, at 36.8 for Lillard and 34% for Mitchell. Uh, interesting enough, right behind him, number four is Anthony Edwards, who shot uh, just a tenth of a percentage under 33% and made 174. So definitely, if they had a full season, I mean, 10 more games, he, he would easily, I'd imagine, have broken that mark. So this is the floor uh, you would hope for Sadiq. He, he set the floor as uh, this a solid two-way contributor with 3D potential. What do you think the best case scenario is? And what do you think the likely case scenario is? Uh, I think the the likely case scenario is what we've, we've seen. Um, he never develops much more as a ball handler, as a passer. Um, gets better as a team defender, but not necessarily somebody you trust with the, not necessarily someone you entrust with a lot of uh, offense, offensive creation, um, but some good team defense and uh, is like a, a very solid role player in the NBA for for many many years. Um, but again, the upside, the upside is he does learn how to uh, create for himself. He learns how to. Uh, he learns how to attack the basket in a little bit more fluid way. He's not the most explosive vertical athlete, but he's very strong. You you imagine he can uh, create space with uh, with his body, um, like using his strength instead of like necessarily like elevating over people. And uh, he, he, maybe you imagine him like posting up smaller guys as a way to create his own offense. That's something I think you could see in a playoff setting. Um, and, and, and in that case, he becomes, you know, not not necessarily like the scorer that Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell are, but um, an elite, elite uh, role player in the mold of trying to think of like a, a, a better name in the in the mold of like a Marcus Morris. Right. Somebody who is, if you're lucky, the third or fourth best player on your team. But a, but a very, very good third or fourth best player to have. And a, a deadly three-point shooter. I mean, Marcus Morris, especially just the late stage of his career, holy cow. I mean, the, the numbers on the Clippers right now for that whole team is just insane. But I, he had his uh, initial year with Detroit, was an incredible three-point shooter. 
And so, yeah, it, on Marcus Morris comp, there are worse things out there, especially with the, the two-way ability there. Someone who is making an impact also on both ends, especially on the boards for Detroit, Isaiah Stewart. I, I, I'm going to say it now. I was very, very vocal in the Detroit Bad Boys comments. I'm like, hey, you, you guys, just you don't take a center. Why would you, why would you take a center uh, where, I mean, this team, there's so many holes and talent deficiencies. I, you swing for the fences. But Isaiah Stewart has proved me wrong on such an incredible level. And he has been a joy to watch. And coming in as, you know, a little bit undersized, 6'8", Though he's got the thickness, at, he's listed at 250. Are you Team Beef Stew, or do you have another nickname you prefer for him? I'm, I'm Team Beef Stew. I, I love Beef Stew. Um, and I, w- I was right there with you, right, at the time of, of the draft. It's like, why why would you expend, like, you know, precious draft capital on, on a center? But um, I think we've all grown to love Isaiah Stewart, um, who also rapidly improved over the course of uh of the season you know earlier in the year he was he made strides and he impressed a lot of people with just his motor and his energy uh attacking rebounds um you know giving giving a lot of effort defensively just as as a glue guy but as the season progressed you know we saw him make pick and pop threes we saw him uh, take more threes uh, late in the season and i really think that's the next that's the big thing that uh, opens up um, his offensive game is the if he if he's a spacing threat and forces guys to uh, leave the paint in order to uh, to guard him. We we saw in the Chicago game, right? He was able to uh, pull the big out of the paint, you know, pump fake, and then drive all the way to the rim. That was something that you know was definitely not on the scouting report uh, when Isaiah Stewart was drafted, and so. <laughs> If he's able to do more things like that, if he's able to, uh, you know, be more than just a, a rim runner and, and an energy guy, like the the future holds a lot of promise for Isaiah Stewart. The other two names, just looking at from a developmental standpoint, just because maybe we've, we've seen both a limited sample size with their time with the Pistons this year. Killing Hayes, the uh, rookie uh, French point guard, who I believe is the youngest on the roster uh, by uh, a few days on Isaiah Stewart, which also then that's incredible. Isaiah Stewart, yeah, he's, oh, uh, he turns 20 tomorrow. So uh, happy early birthday, Isaiah Stewart. Um, Killian Hayes is about, it looks like 60 days away from turning 20 as well. There's a lot of youth there. The other name, uh, Hamadou Diallo, a very athletic, uh, very much the Troy Weaver mold of the athleticism that is uh, jumping out of the gym, uh, dunking on your face, and in theory would have the tools to do incredible things defensively. He's also 22 right now. What do you think of the two guards that Detroit 1 has picked and then also uh, made an investment in trading for and kind of how they fit on the team going forward? Hayes, I kind of start and stop with the hip injury but uh both of them have shown uh pretty intriguing flashes yeah uh it was a rough evaluation for killian hayes just because of the injury uh, and the and he he had a very in uh he had a very diff- difficult year right he, he struggled out of the gate 
was handed the starting job, um, but, you know, not necessarily a huge share of the offense. You know, at the time, he was deferring a lot to Blake Griffin, to Jeremy Grant, to Mason Plumley. you know, deservedly, because those guys are those guys are really good players. But uh, that didn't leave uh, a lot of room for him to do the things that we thought would make him special uh, at the NBA level, that the things that he showed in Germany. And then... So he was playing. He was playing really poorly. He was shooting really poorly, and he was turning the ball over a lot. And then he got hurt. So uh, immediately out for three months, and uh, got the time to sit on the bench and learn the the NBA game. Um, the team got the team shifted under his feet, right? Like in that time since he got hurt, you know, we 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 talked about the two halves of the season. You know, Blake Griffin was traded. Derrick Rose was traded. Um, the team uh, really restructured itself into a more younger, uh, fat, more fast-paced team. And so when he returned, um, we saw the, I think, the normal progression you expected to see out of a rookie point guard from Killian Hayes. Um, still not amazing as a finisher, uh, still kind of tentative around the rim, but you definitely saw more of the passing vision that makes him special. And you saw some flashes of the ability to create his own shot with with step backs, with side steps. You saw some some threes off the dribble, some pull up threes. Um, you saw the, the like the crazy outlet uh, full court passes to to Sadiq Bay in transition against Oklahoma City. You, you see what makes Killian Hayes like worthy of being the the number seven overall pick. And so the but you know on the whole the numbers don't look great. But again, 19-year-old point guard who was out for three months with an injury got better as the season, uh, as the end of the season went along. There's still a lot of optimism there, in, in my opinion. And then Hamadou Diallo, Hamadou Diallo was a was an interesting case. He they they, they went really slowly with him to start. Uh, he when he was traded from Oklahoma City to Detroit, he was already out with a groin injury, and they they gave him the space to recover from that injury. And so we didn't get to see him uh, right away. Um, when we did see him, he was uh, exactly as advertised—a a really athletic uh, rim uh, rim pressurer, a, a guy who could really uh, get to the rim in transition in in the half court, uh, a guy who collapses the defense and makes things happen. Um, the thing that I, we didn't see as much was the defense. Um, I think we expected a little bit more out of Hamadou on that end. Um, I think that's something that will come as uh, he gets more comfortable with the the coaching staff and, and you know more adjusted to to Detroit. And that's something I think they they emphasize to him next year is like this you know part of what makes you special is the havoc you can cause and the pressure you can bring on, on defense. And we really want to accentuate that instead of worrying about you you know. Uh, trying to score, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of hope in what Hami brings. You know, Troy Weaver after the season was over said they're very interested in you know retaining him and keeping him on. I, I don't think I've ever heard a GM you know give away leverage for a, a non-max rookie restricted free agent like that. But uh, you know, Troy Weaver obviously knows Hamadou from O's days in Oklahoma City, has a lot of faith in him, and so I think there's there's a lot of optimism around. Both of those guys uh, for the Pistons moving forward. What What's interesting is uh, what happens, you know, with, with some additions uh, around those two guys, right? 
the a lot of the the guards at the top of this year's draft class are very interesting uh would be interesting to a team like detroit um you do kind of wonder how um how drafting one of those guards would impact the playing time of, of both Hami and killian but i think that's that's one of that's a good problem to have right if you have a lot of talent at the same position um especially within uh with ball handlers i don't think that's that's I don't think that's a, a really big issue to worry about in the uh, in the NBA in 2021. Yeah, especially with uh, positional versatility and uh, this smaller shift as well. And maybe if you get you know someone who has card skills, but they're a little bit bigger as well, uh, that that overlap is less of an issue. So I, the you kind of talked a little bit about the fit ideas of it, and this current roster as constructed is very interesting because it looks like they've got, I mean, there's the three rookies and then there are some other interesting parts with, you've got like the Dennis Smith trade there and, uh, you know, his rights and what's going to happen with that. I'd imagine the Pistons uh, wouldn't really be wanting to keep that around with the cap hold and what that do. Cause I think that's like something around it's my, my mind's very fuzzy on it, but it's like $10 million chunk of change for Dennis Smith, which doesn't quite seem like a return on investment um just with how that shakes out but you also have guys like josh jackson and, and Saban lee and so there's and then of course you, you've, you've got jeremy grant and and mason plumley uh as well so i'm seeing a lot of starters or solid contributors and role players and th- there's the philosophy out there of you know play guys who don't suck um and <laughs> i think detroit has a lot of players who have the potential to not suck i don't think they a, a lot of them are incredible net positives at this point in time but it looks like a lot of them have that potential to angle there how many of these guys do you think are going to be sticking around for at least the next year or two uh, is this just going to turn into troy weaver turning like one red paperclip into the house and by the house, I mean, you know, maybe like a third team all NBA player or uh, an Eastern Conference all star at some point, or he keeps just trading it like you do in the NBA uh, 2K. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to take the second round pick. And eventually, if I flip enough times here, I'm, someone's going to give me a first. Um, yeah, I, there, there, there's a lot of uh, possibilities. And it's it's a mystery box with a uh, trader Troy. Yeah, I think. I think some of the additions to this team are are not long for the team. You talked about uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s uh, qualifying offer cap hold, um, and and also the we talked about the guards at the top of the class, and I, it, it does seem like there is there will be a roster crunch, um, and he will be on the outside of that crunch, which is unfortunate. Like he he showed a lot, or he showed I think he showed enough to stay in the NBA in his time in Detroit, um, but the the injuries really didn't let him. Uh, prove himself down the stretch of the season down the stretch of the uh the the rest of the season and so um you know it's tough to imagine him hanging around in detroit beyond this um you know the pistons do have three second round picks this year probably can't roster three more rookies um so you imagine that some kind of consolidation trade happens there or they uh you know trade a second this year for some future second round picks they did trade for second round picks in the uh, luke canard sadiq bay deal and so you know that you it probably would behoove them to you know restock the war chest of second round picks in the future a little bit um i, I imagine the guy like frank jackson though stays around they have his restricted free agency rights 
he really proved himself as a, a spacer and a scorer, which is something that uh, the bench unit really needed and really t- could take advantage of. Um, and so I, th- I think there's a, a good chance that, that Frank Jackson kind of kind of sticks around the team. But yeah, they, they are still kind of missing a, a drink stir. They're still kind of missing a capital S star. And the hope is that you can find that guy at the top of the draft this year or that you can internally develop, you know, one of Sadiq or, or Killian or Isaiah Stewart, like into one of those guys. Um, I think it's probably more likely that, you know, you if if you find that guy at the top of this year's draft, that that is their capital S star. I feel I still think Killian has uh, the potential to be a capital S star, even after the uh, rough rookie year, like we talked about. Um, but that but both of those are, are going to take time. And uh, that, so it's not going to be uh, a process of like that occurring next year. So in the meantime, uh, you know, Troy Weaver said it, you know, in his uh, remarks after the season, they are looking internally for a lot of their development and, and what is going to be right about their team moving forward. And so I, you know, I'm not looking to, I'm not looking to, uh, to any free agents or anything to, to come in and, and turn this team around really quickly. Um, I think that this team is going to be built internally, you know, from the ground up uh, over the course of a couple of years. And uh, that means, you know, making guys like Killian Hayes and Steve Bay better and, and, you know, giving, giving guys like Jeremy Grant, the, the space, to be amazing players, even if they're not necessarily the the number one option on a, on a playoff team. Question of like more of like a kind of a square peg and a round hole. I mean, when, when you've got guards like uh, Killian Hayes and Hamadou Diallo, who aren't necessarily floor spacers out there. Um, Frank Jackson, by the way, uh, crazy, a guy who I thought was just kind of a scrub in the NBA and who, who more all intents has been and uh, had not shot any better than you know, 32%, um, 32.6%, goes out there and is the better version of Wayne Ellington on the team Wayne Ellington is on. <laughs> um, I, I don't, that's probably not a significant recruiting vic- victory. Maybe that's an SDV, significant development victory. I, I like that. <laughs> that's a very much in the weeds for uh, you fans out there when, Wayne Ellington had his first tour of duty with Detroit, but uh, Josh Jackson, I thought has been an interesting player to have him on a lower uh, budget contract. He's only making a couple million. It's two year deal. He looked very interesting as an ISO ball scorer, but he is six, eight, or at least listed that way. Does he kind of fit in right now as like the backup three? I think so. I think there's a space for Josh on this team in the short term. Um, you know, you remember earlier in the year, right? He was doing a really good job of getting downhill and attacking the basket and making an impact nightly, you know, for this Pistons team. Um, the ankle injury occurred that really kind of uh, sapped a lot of the momentum he had about the team, about his season. Um, I believe by the end of it, he was only shooting 30% from three, which, uh, you know, flatly is just not, it's not really good enough. Uh, for a guy who has uh, as many attempts as, as Josh did, um, and it was it was down from previous career numbers, and so you would you would hope he become a better three point shooter in time. Um, but he still brings a lot of energy. He's another guy who provides a lot of pressure on the rim. Another athletic guy who who can defend, and another guy who um, kind of fits Troy Weaver's priors. And he's here on a on a very cheap deal, right? The the room exception. Um, 
for one more year. And so I, I imagine he is here, but I don't necessarily know if he's part of the long-term future uh, for the Pistons. Uh, short-term, definitely. Long-term, you know, 2023 and beyond, not not as sure. I, th- I think it helps him that he is a, he's a native Detroiter. People know him. Uh, they they let him speak to the fans um, when they first allowed fans uh, back in the arena, which I thought was really interesting because you know even at the time he was he was coming off the bench, and so they 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 seem to be really prioritizing the Detroit connection with with some of these guys, and I think that's I think that's important. Um, I think that's an angle you definitely want to play up when the team uh, isn't as good <laughs> as uh, as uh, the fans might like. But uh, I, I do think that also is like one more point in his favor to be a part of this team in, in the short term. Yeah, and I think he also, I mean, he did the uh, image rehabilitation tour with Memphis. The, the Suns uh, ser- uh, time with that did not go well. I've not heard anything negative about him since he's been in Detroit. So I, I'm really hopeful the skills put together. He is age 24. But still, that's uh, young enough where you you think you know. I mean, we we just saw Christian Wood, who had had bounced around uh, significantly more so, and he he's been able to show the last two seasons that he's been able to take another step. So so there are there is the possibility of growth there, um, and especially to have it on you know a five million dollar budget, and then I think that means with a two year deal early bird rights. But that's that's a little ways down the road. The last part of reflection I want to talk about with you is, from a fan perspective, this is the the most Detroit has ever gone towards losing for quite a while. And it, it is different watching the team that, hey, I'm going to turn on and I'm like, I'm hoping they lose this game. Yeah. And yeah. I am uh, not really watching for Blake Griffin or a push for the playoffs or uh, the incredible Tobias Harris uh, momentum post trade where they just went on an absolute tear and uh Arisani Ilyasova is taking charges and you're, you're looking at that you're like no Arisani Ilyasova I, I have no need for you I have no need for uh old vets on this team give me all the minutes to Killian Hayes Frank Jackson all the rookies um how have you perceived the season has it has it been enjoyable to watch do you, do you shift what you find enjoyment in no, absolutely. You uh, you shift what you find enjoyment in. Um, I think it really helps to the, that the expectations were were properly managed to a low point early in the year, um, and I think people were hungry. I think fans were hungry for something new and different. Right? We we have seen this team try and compete for the playoffs um, with a roster that's not, uh, you know an elite level talent roster. Um, you know, we've seen that story. We've, we've enjoyed those teams definitely. Um, but that's not necessarily like what the team, what, what the fans want to see forever. Um, and so I think something a little bit different for one year was nice. I do wonder about, uh, people's appetites for another, you know, 50, 60 lost uh, year. I don't, I don't think people have another one of those, uh, in them, and so I think there will be expectations placed on this team next year, um, depending on the draft pick. But yeah, I think, and I th- it was also easier to get away with because of the pandemic, right? We yeah, no fans, you, yeah, no, no mean, fans in stands. Yeah, now you have a good excuse for why the the arena looks so empty. 
exactly exactly um you know a lot of opportunity for them for the team to uh think about how they are going to market this team moving forward without the pressure (laughs) of uh without the pressure of fans in the arena uh or you know you know having to worry about ticket sales right um and so I, th- I think that was that's an underrated element of this year, but something that shouldn't be you know completely dismissed offhand. Um, but yeah, I, I think <laughs> the season was definitely a success, but I would not like to have many more successful seasons like this. Right? You'd, <laughs> ideally, you'd like to you'd like to have another uh, maybe another season like this where um, you know the, all their rookies are healthy and play well for most of the year and and start to actually develop into really good players instead of just like good players for rookies. Um, and then you, and then, you know, you're looking at two years down the line, you're looking at the playoffs, right? I think, I think that is the, that's the, uh, that's the timeline that we've been handed down from Troy Weaver. That's the timeline Dwayne Casey has bought into. Um, I think that's the timeline fans can kind of, I think that's the timeline fans can wrap their head around, but you know, you, you, you poked fun at Sacramento earlier, right? Like nobody really wants to be, Sacramento with some good young dudes, but like no shot at the playoffs. You don't want to be, you know, Orlando with um, uh, a good number of young dudes, but uh, you know, injuries really prevent you from having the year you want to have. Um, and so I think, uh, I think fans again, like they have, like they, it was an enjoyable season. It was a good season. Can't have many more enjoyable seasons like this one. Yeah, the only other time, so I, I was just morbidly curious, the last time Detroit had um, 20 wins w- would have uh, actually been uh, last season, but that one was cut short, um, which ruined uh, the, the tank momentum quite all the way. Uh, 93-94, so hey, the year I was born, the Pistons were just as bad. That's uh, hopefully not prophetic. And then 79 to 80. So a three-way tie for second place. Worst uh, all-time in terms of wins. Uh, losses, it is uh, by far and away uh, the worst. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a while since the Pistons were bad on purpose. Uh, let's see. What's the overall rating? I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it's all rough across the board but <laughs> uh needless to say they they succeeded at this um goal and usually you don't see a tanking coach get an extension uh but casey got uh, a year officially signed and then another year added on to his contract i i thought it's been interesting to have a you know, a coach of the year who was fired then scooped up by detroit detroit tries to make a push for the playoffs and then there's this pivot really hard into a rebuild and the young players more or less flourish under them. I'm not certain how I feel about some of the treatment of some of the young players, like a second Nuboya not getting off the bench until the end of the season when he becomes, uh, what was the phrase? Servicely bad as opposed to just straight up bad. And then, uh, though Killian Hayes absolutely starts the se- uh, season as the, uh, true point guard as opposed to the slowly working his way in and from the minute uh looks shook out there uh, how do you think casey's managed this in your opinion i think this has been a good year for Dwayne casey i think the the extension was um 
interesting from both sides. You know, normally coaches don't get extensions after their team wins 20 games. Uh, <laughs> but I think that this was a show of faith from the front office in the job that he was doing, um, you know, helming this team and developing the, the young guys that they brought in the way that the front office wanted them to be developed. Um, and as for Casey, this also gives him the opportunity to coach a potentially good Pistons team in the future, right? Um, you know, he's 64 years old. I don't know how much more NBA coaching he has uh, left in him. You know, just, I'm, I'm, I don't, it's not like I, you know, me and Dwayne text or anything, but I, I do kind of wonder, like, if he wants to be doing this forever. But um, I do think he wants to, go, you know, if coaches like to win, I think he would like to go out on a high note. And so the extension offers the the possibility of him of him doing that, um, yeah. But the the you could really see the job Dwayne Casey did in the development of the young guys, not necessarily the end result of some of these games. It, uh, the The wins and losses didn't matter. Each each of the young guys showing promise this early in very specific, uh, very attuned ways, and especially on on defense. Um, that was, I think, uh, largely attributable to Dwayne Casey and his staff. And, and that's part of the reason why you, you saw him get extended. Yeah, to, to get an, an inc- a, a solid, not spectacular, but um, a, a defensive rating that is a net neutral. And you see guys out there, I mean, it's just the offense that dragged them down. But to see a collection of just uh, the Island of Misfit Toys come to Detroit... Uh, with rookies to, to to work and function as a defensive unit, um, when you see you know teams that are hoping for championship odds that can even put together uh, passive uh, moments on defense, I think that it, it does say something and it does show something, and hopefully bodes well for the future. Which worst case scenario has uh, the number six pick in a five player draft. However, the five players, if they get any of them, could be very interesting. Uh, just right on and off, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Sluggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga. Of those five, is there a guy that you want most to see on this team? Yeah, I, I definitely think Cade Cunningham is the best overall prospect um, in this year's draft. He would, I think, immediately become the primary or he would immediately become one of the best op- offensive options uh for this team um just the ability to score at all three levels the passing ability he has at his size he's six eight um the the way he carried that oklahoma state team that was not very good to uh you know to an ncaa berth to the the you know the big 12 uh finals uh the tournament uh, the conference tournament finals i that believe that might be generous that team had literally no spacing yeah that that it, was it's that was not a very good team <laughs> uh but he but he was quite good on it right and so you're i'm very eager to see what he offers right and with nba spacing with with nba caliber teammates functional uh, players like maybe at least a sadiq bay or a frank jackson yeah. yeah even even a mason Plumley, right and big big men are so important for for pick and roll scores, just as like as dive threats, as guys who operate out of the short roll, as guys who um, you know set solid screens and create space for for guards to take advantage of, you know just just having a an NBA caliber center 
like uh, like Isaiah Stewart or Mason Plumley, I think would also be be pretty huge for Cade. Yeah, yeah Cade quick, is, quick shout shout out to Mason Plumley, who also I'm like why we we have Dwayne Dedman, like you, you got to serve so big. Uh, Plumley had a few moments of absolute frustration and um, confoundingness. Uh, as I throw out imaginary words out there, but his passing also, I mean, when he's putting up close to triple doubles on an awful team and again, I'm eating my crow. Weaver at almost every turn is now making me eat eat my words. I I think his passing would be great for any of these rookies, but yeah, Cade, especially a a point guard um, dealing with competent big men. Um, especially a guard who has a switch ability at six eight, and I'm not saying LeBron in a lot of comparisons, just more of that maybe uh, a Luka Doncic as a taller kind of small forward size player, uh, but with better defense. Yeah, I, I think that is probably the better comparison. He's not nearly the athlete. Um, from a strength perspective, from a run jump perspective that LeBron is. But, you know, similarly to Luca, the the basketball brain, the thing that um really makes LeBron LeBron is his brain. Um and, and Cade has that similar like processing speed and power. Um he's able to to see the floor in a way that, you know, most guys can't. And that and that's what like truly makes makes him special. Um and I I don't think I think it's I think it's uh it's interesting to call Cade a point guard. I don't think Cade is a point guard. I think Cade Cade's just your your primary ball handler, right? Because he's six eight, you can play you can put him at two guard, you can put him at three, you can put him you can even play him at uh at power forward um and have him just kind of be your your, your point forward in that way. Um but yeah, Cade is a, a very, very special prospect and I would be elated to have him on the Pistons. This is just that fourteen yeah. percent chance, right? Just gotta hold out. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, well, uh, better than playing the uh, lottery tonight, though. Uh, a lot of people will be, and uh, I, I, I might as well with the numbers in Michigan. Well, it's national lottery, but uh, Cunningham. Yeah, for Michigan State fans who might not be familiar with Katie Cunningham, uh, a six eight, two hundred twenty pound guard. So that would be just a little bit taller than Miles Bridges with a much more natural ball handling. I mean, they're they're both athletic and they attack the basket. But uh, I, I definitely think that Bridges this year has taken quite the step forward playing as a four. Cunningham, I think, has that true ability to kind of fit wherever. But after that, you've got a bunch of guys who are known for their spacing and their shooting, um, mostly guards and a wing and a big. So let's say the top 14% chance doesn't quite work out. Let's say the Rockets are rewarded for Tillman Fertitta cheaping out and absolutely <laughs> uh, disenfranchising uh, James Harden, who then um, looked like he went to Hardy's and but then is now in the Nets and looks incredible. Uh, so the Rockets, let's say they dash our dreams and hopes and fade for Cade, uh, has had to fade away. What would be your number two prospect? Because I think a lot of these guys, it, it's kind of eye of the beholder, and I'm, I'm not sure where I'd want to lean, but outside of Cade Cunningham being head and shoulders above. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um... Uh, it, it is kind of a matter of preference, right? Um, I, th- I think there is a, a particular order that these guys go in. Uh, I am willing to. Oh, what would wrong. that order be? I, I would go Evan Mobley at two and Jalen Green at three and Jalen Suggs at four. You can actually uh, read my, my big board on Detroit Bad Boys. 
um, if you're uh, if you're interested in the in the draft beyond the, those four players. But I, I would have Evan Mobley too. Um, I know people say you need this is a guards league. Uh, you need uh, shot creation, but the the potential that Evan Mobley has to do basically everything you would want a a big man to do not not a center but like a big man to do in the NBA in 2020 is is so it's it's so there it's so uh, apparent um he can he plays amazing defense he anchored that USC team um to what was it like a, a sweet 16 run i believe um uh, they lost they lost to Gonzaga in the uh was it the sweet 16 or the elite the elite 8 i don't remember but um you know, he he anchored that USC team that you know didn't exactly have a lot of other NBA prospects, but you know did lean on him uh, defensively in a way that you you can for very few college age bigs who are that young, right? And then as a on offense, um, he he definitely battled bouts of passivity, but the skill he shows as a driver. As a guy who can who can face up and attack the basket, um, he's flashed the ability to to space the floor to to make threes. I definitely think that's something that you know he will he will work on and improve, and that will be a big element of his game moving forward is being able to space the floor. Um, you you get a guy that tall with with that good touch, um, and, and you give him the ability to space the floor. That's a real problem for defenses. And um, he's, he's, you know, seven feet tall, seven four wingspan. Um, the ability to, it's like, this isn't the primary thing you want him doing in the NBA, but he does have the ability to to post up, you know, good touch around the rim, uh, flip in jump hooks with either hand. Um, he's a good, good in the pick and roll because he can both, uh, he can dive, you can short roll him, and, and like we said, we he in time he'll be able to space the floor, and so you can pick pick and pop him as well. Um, and just a just a really com- just a really intriguing complete player uh, at the at the college level, and you'd love to see what he looks like in like two to three years. Um, yeah, just able to impact the game. Uh, a guy that size who's able to impact the game that that deeply on both ends is is absolutely like I think what the, what the Pistons could use moving forward. And the, the the size, the the athleticism, the uniqueness, the ability to be a top five center because it's really kind of uh, teams who have that go to big, and then everybody else. Because for the most part, then it, when Javale McGee can be on multiple teams as a reasonable starting option, uh, it's an interesting note of how the game has evolved to just needing a few basic skills and if he stays within that comfort zone he's fine and it's it's those bigs like carl anthony towns or anthony davis or bam Adebayo, and then in, in in the extremes it's nikola Jokic who is redefining um and and making the andre drummond you know uh high uh high post handoffs look uh, cute and quaint and, and turn it into another level so to, to have someone like that, a, a truly skilled big with, who's already flashed that way and uh, isn't from Europe and uh, is now a, a farmer somewhere in Eastern Europe uh, as their <laughs> retirement plan. I mean, because hey, hey, Darko had a, a lot of unique skills coming out too, but uh, uh, Mobile is a, a completely different beast. And 
that that could be very tempting and and man yeah. <laughs> it's funny i'm like okay i can't wait for the nba draft but also at the same time I'm like wait oh that's right there's nba playoff basketball happening right now too huh look at that yeah the, and then, the, the season never ends and then you, you you have the warriors and lakers in a play-in game setting like almost rating records or or at least giant spikes from what we, was being seen in the bubble and that just happens to be a one-off game randomly in the middle of the week and uh yeah yeah, we're, we're, we're back to the NBA playoffs. Yeah, which Detroit hopefully can be a part of the discussion of you know maybe in two years they can be that bad team who is in the playoff play in contention, and then the the final step to be an actual long term contending team. There's the pieces here right now with Detroit to see that you have. I don't know if I want to say the foundation, but maybe it's like you've got all the building supplies lined up. You've got your heavy equipment ready to go. You, you've got your mortar. You've got your timber and all that. You just now need that, you know, that, that final part to come in. You need your contractor to come in and assemble and put everything together and lay down that foundation. And I think there's a couple guys. Jalen Suggs, I, we all saw what he did in the NCAA tournament, uh, was absolute bonkers. Um, but Jalen Green in the G League looked even more intriguing. Uh, Kaminga, I'm just kind of rattling these guys off really fast. Kaminga, not not the most crazy uh, uh, year with the Ignite. Uh, kind of faltered, didn't live up. I mean, a, a 49, a true shooting percentage, uh, especially when you got a guy like Jalen Green right next to him it, with 6.1 or 61% true shooting. That's interesting just to see how someone is adapting to the G League and the Ignite and all that and vice versa. But there's a lot of opportunities there for Detroit to do something with it. And I'm hopeful it all comes together. Do you, uh, in, in the dream scenario, if I say, hey, in two years you're the general manager and uh, you got Cade Cunningham, where would you see this team? What kind of, how would you see it existing? I, I think. The hope for Beat for this team in two years would be a season uh, very much like the one we just saw out of the Atlanta Hawks, right? Where you are led by your your, your number one guy, your all-star um, in, in Trey Young or, or Cade Cunningham in this scenario. Um, you have a lot of support from a lot of other young guys, um, you know, like your, your Killian Hayes and your Sadiq Bays and your, your Cam Reddishes and your DeAndre Hunters. Um, and you have like, you know, another one or two big free agent acquisitions. Uh, uh, the, the Hawks had Clint Capella, uh, the Pistons could have, you know, I don't know who that person would be, but you know, in some time you'd have that, that someone with that level of impact. Um, and, and you, you have, you have a very winnable first round series, right? You have a series that people expect to be a series and you have a lot of optimism, about the future of the franchise right there's there's a lot of room for the team to go up but they're already at a pretty good level i think that that's the ideal situation for the pistons two years from now right and in a good place with easily you can easily envision them being in a better place in two more years but uh but you know taking it in uh, in two year increments i guess taking it a little bit at a time yeah that's an interesting comparison i wasn't necessarily thinking of the Hawks, just mostly because I think of like Trey Young as that young, exciting player. But if 
Detroit gets that guy within two years. I mean, there is the possibility within this draft that they find their Trey Young or their, um, oh goodness, Devin Booker. I mean, Detroit had the chance there, but we're we're, we're not talking about that. We're not <laughs> yeah, talking about past that, drafts. That's in this a long podcast. time ago. Now we we can let that one go. I think. Uh, um. <laughs> but to go from yeah the, the hawks have been uh fifth worst in um their uh, division they've been a, a bottom feeder and it, it looked like they they made enough right moves to put something together that has some opportunity to grow with the right part so that that could be very interesting to see especially with how the play-in game well you got teams like memphis and the pacers Pacers are the walking wounded. Memphis is just a young team with uh, who knows what's going on with Jaron Jackson and other opportunities with the Wizards and and all this stuff. Just now, big picture, just since I'm going to go off of playoff talk, what do you think of the play-in game? What do you think of this like oddly constructed play-in tournament? I think it is. I think it's been uh, good for the league to have so many teams competing for something that they view as valuable. Uh, this late in the season um, I think the the play-in games themselves have been unfortunately largely a, a disappointment not necessarily in terms of like who won or who lost but in terms of the quality of play uh, a lot of them have been not that competitive and I think that's not exactly what the uh, what the NBA was looking forward to but the play-in games that have been competitive right the uh, the Memphis San Antonio game the you know the the Lakers Warriors game like those have been just like those have felt very important and those have felt like must see basketball uh, those those have felt like playoff games um in a way that I think the NBA was hoping for and so you can see I, I think that uh, this is something that we're we're going to see moving forward and that we should embrace um but they, they we got to find a way to make these games uh, a little bit more competitive but when they're competitive they're they're excellent games yeah it, it's given a team like the Lakers who've been decimated by injuries to, with with Anthony Davis and LeBron, still, I mean, if, if the Lakers now they didn't quite fall out of it, but to to really have the ability to cement in here and to, to feature Anthony Davis and LeBron and Steph Curry, same thing. The, the Warriors, uh, with being them absolutely being decimated, to to at least give teams who have a chance. I mean, the the Wizards, my goodness, uh, Daniel Gafford for MVP, right? For <laughs> yeah. for I, I not necessarily for going on a. Um, the numbers of you know the best scorer um, in the league, and then they're just on a good team. But in terms of apparently acquiring Daniel, Daniel Gafford was the key to unlock the Washington Wizards going on an absolute tear. I uh, apologies um, to Jesse Goldsmith Schuster, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and his Wizards fandom, and me uh, poo pooing uh, the Wizards when I talked with him the other week. So yeah, I think I think it is good to have not a bunch of garbage basketball. At, at the end of a season where it's just so blatantly teams are tanking that there is this some something to aim for. And the the last week of the season, so many games still had incredible value and merit on what it was going to do, the standings and all of that. So I think it's an overall win. And I think if I was Detroit and, and they you know made the play in next year and then got smoked, I wouldn't mind it because it would be interesting to see, um, just where the team stacks up and compares to other, but also not really losing your your odds or spots um, in at least getting a younger rookie. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential here for for balancing 
your good teams versus your growing teams and not necessarily uh, punishing a young up and coming team for making the playoffs by making them automatically, you know, get out of the lottery spots. So I think those are some inventive things that have happened. And that's perfect for an era where we have such an inventive general manager in Detroit with Troy Weaver, who uh, no idea what he's going to do. Um, I, I the, the only thing I think I can bet money safely on is that LeBron James is not coming to Detroit. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I agree with that. Anything else feels like it could be in the realm of possibilities with that man. So as long as they are uh, very athletic and uh, they have a large wingspan. And if those two boxes are there, he's gunning for you. So all Detroit fans, you should be gunning for Detroit bad boys and uh, Lazarus Jackson and everywhere he can be found. Laz, I really appreciate you taking a significant chunk of time to talk with me. What are you working on right now that we can look forward to checking out? So uh, thank you again, John, for having me on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. Um, Fans can follow me on Twitter at last chance at L A Z C H A N C E. Um, like, like I mentioned earlier, my big board just came out on Detroit bad boys. I will be updating and evaluating that, you know, as we move forward, um, in the draft process as the lottery, uh, as, as they draw the actual lottery and we see where the Pistons will select, I'll probably cut down on the board significantly, uh, just to see, um, you know, what, what, what cut down on the possibilities, um, the, um, the next thing I think I'll be working on is probably something around the second round and some of the guys, the Pistons can take, uh, in that area. But yeah, just, you know, follow me on Twitter, uh, check out the, the podcasts. I host the Detroit bad boys podcast and Pistons versus everybody. And, uh, and just continue to uh, support me and my work. I really appreciate the, uh, the love that Pistons fans have given me this season. It's been a long season for a lot of people and, uh, they didn't have to support my content as much as they did. And, but they did, and I really appreciated it. Well, it has been quite the season, and your work and your voice have definitely been a, a steadying force in the community. So I want to thank you for helping people to not completely jump off all the bridges and show that I mean, there's multiple people out there saying, hey, uh, there's a guiding light or just a tank. Um, so thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, thank you for making time. It's been a blast talking with you. And I can't wait to uh, see more of your work and uh, talk with you down the road again. Thanks again, John.